Focus on Life. Hello, and thanks so much for joining me for Lucas on Life, and what a week we've had. There's a pessimistic saying that sometimes when we see the light at the end of a tunnel, it actually might be the lights of an oncoming train. I think that many of us are feeling just like that because just when we thought we were getting to a point where we were starting to conquer the dreaded pandemic, the word Omicron surfaced. Ten days ago, it was a word we'd never heard of, and now we're scrambling to respond with Boris saying we're going to have a better Christmas than last year, the health secretary saying at Christmas, don't socialise with people that you don't need to socialise with, and let's face it, there's a lot of fear about. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to spend the rest of this programme just talking about the pandemic, but I'd like to offer a couple of reflections that I hope will help us during this weird, worrying season. You're listening to Lucas on Life, here on Premier Christian Radio. Reduced to tears by the televised heartfelt tributes to loved ones who have passed away because of COVID-19, there have been times when I've felt very heavy. And I know it's okay to feel that way, but perhaps I need to take a step further and say that it's human and needful to actually feel low at times. That which usually makes my heart sing was taken away, especially during the lockdown period. The hugs of grandsons, the fun of a meal shared with family and friends, the physical gathering of fellow believers for worship, the simple joy of popping into town for a coffee. I find so much joy in those moments that when they're denied for a period of time, I tended to feel vacant and flat. Water slakes thirst. Lack of water makes your lips dry. Simple, unavoidable fact. When I'm feeling low, I want to lecture myself sternly, to wave my own finger in front of my own face and tell the rather glum me that it's worse, so, so much worse for others around the country and in the wider world. And that's very true, and we must never ignore that truth, and we must respond to it. But the lecture to myself doesn't quite work, because despite my relatively pain-free existence, there's still some sadness. That cloud is not driven away by me just comparing my weather conditions with someone else's storm. I need to stay aware of what's happening in the world, though, otherwise my capacity for self-absorption can grow out of control, like my hair has a habit of doing when I can't get to the hairdresser. So, what to do when sorrow and anxiety presses down, particularly at the end of a week like this? Well, I'm trying to take baby steps aiming just to get the next thing done, praying some simple one-sentence prayers. More about that in a moment. Being grateful for small things, reading something fun, then something deeper, and then something biblical, and not necessarily in that order. And I'm learning how to rejoice. Most of the encouragements towards rejoicing in the Bible were written to or by people who were experiencing extremely tough times, like Paul the Apostle, who experienced such pressure and pain. We will get through the storm. Right. Baby steps. Odd things happen when people are baptised by full immersion. I know one minister who wore fishermen's waders so that he wouldn't have to change clothing for the event. The waders leaked and he became one waterlogged pastor, which was awkward. Another hapless, besuited leader delegated the actual baptising to one of his team, but popped onto the platform to provide a benediction at the end of the service, and then stepped back into the tank. Oh dear. 
My own baptism was something of a fiasco. Baptismal candidates were expected to share a testimony prior to the dunking, so I decided to write and perform a song. A huge mistake. Fear not, listeners. I'm never going to play it here. Singing a duet with a friend, we tortured the fixed-grin congregation with our awful verses. And then, when submerged, I kicked my legs up in the air, sending a miniature tidal wave towards the elderly ladies in the front pew. But my most recent baptismal experience was epically aquatic. Visiting the Holy Land during one of our annual tours, there were 32 members of our group who wanted to be baptised in the River Jordan. The site is allegedly the place where Jesus was baptised by John. We're not precious about these things on our tours. We don't offer see-where-Moses-had-a-cappuccino excursions. Nevertheless, being baptised in the same vicinity as Jesus is special and challenging. At the baptismal site, the River Jordan is about 10 metres wide at most, and the border between Israel and the nation of Jordan is a rope right in the centre of the river, on each bank, Jordanian and Israeli border guards usually stand, machine guns in hand, a warm and comforting sight. All was going well until our friend Jerry waded into the water. My wife Kay and I gulped. Jerry is a tall chap and the river current was strong, so baptising him might take a little extra effort. We meant to ease him back into the water slowly, carefully. But in his enthusiasm, he threw himself backwards, emigrating in the process. For a moment, his head was in the nation of Jordan, his nether regions in Israel. The guards moved closer. This could create an international incident. I didn't immediately see those guards because I was totally underwater, thrown off balance by his sudden backflip. Flailing around, I surfaced to witness our compassionate group laughing hysterically at the sight of our mass immersion. Why did this happen? Simple. Kay and I had not planted our feet firmly on the riverbed, and thus we were vulnerable. We were not standing securely. Staying still, for most people, doesn't seem too exciting. The activist mantra mocks the apparent inactivity with a call to perpetual motion. Don't just stand there, do something. But sometimes staying in one place is all we're called to do, because there's nothing else to be done. We've perhaps come to an impassable junction. We've tried all the usual things. We've prayed, consulted, worked and planned. We've even exhausted a few useless options too, like fretting and worrying. And now we're facing a concrete wall of our own limitations and all we can do is stop and trust. I know, I'm sharing this with you at the end of a week of difficult news about the pandemic. We've often used the phrase, we don't know what on earth is going on, but right now, quite literally, we really don't actually know what on earth is going on because people continue to be sick and they're dying all around the globe. The world's economies are struggling in the fight against this dreaded plague, even this last week, the markets going up and down. Sadly, some believers in their rush to understand why this pandemic has happened in the first place has reached some ridiculous conclusions. One prophet, so-called, suggested that the whole thing is a ruse, a conspiracy to lull us all into submitting to a new world order. I couldn't watch the rest of that broadcast because, just to be frank, it made me nauseous. When we don't know the why and we're not sure about the what, what we can do is pray, wait, reflect, calm our hearts, hold our nerve. In short, 
keep firm, stand securely on our ground. We're also called to stand firm when spiritual warfare rages. Writing to some battle-weary believers in Ephesus, Paul encouraged them to clothe themselves not with leaky waders, but with the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, stand. You can read about it in Ephesians 6, verse 13. We have assurance about what is true. It was the Apostle Paul again who told those endlessly wobbly souls in Corinth, famous for their doctrinal vacillations, to hold tightly to the truth that Christ is raised from the dead. Because of that wondrous Easter dawn, death is dead to us too. So, at the end of, yes, a tough week, let's not be swayed. Let's hold tightly to what we believe. Let's not be intimidated or swept away by uncertainty. And if you're a leader or participating in a baptism in a river, remember to keep your balance. During the season of lockdown restrictions, to be honest, I found it quite difficult to pray. Actually, I find it challenging to pray at the best of times. It didn't take a global pandemic to challenge my intercessory ability. Chatting with someone who is invisible is not something that comes easy to me. Some people describe prayer as a conversation. Sadly, it isn't that for me. There are times, all too rare, when I do have a sense that God is directly communicating to me, but mostly I feel as though I'm twiddling the knob of an old transistor radio. I get a sudden splurge of voice, quickly obliterated by static. When I try to retune, it turns out I was picking up Russian folk music FM. I had rather expected that a world crisis would focus and even embolden my praying. This is because I'm rather good at screaming when under pressure, so I anticipated the same fervency, clarity and intensity in prayer when under pressure shared by the rest of the planet. Unfortunately, this has not been the case. I'm not sure I can describe it adequately, but the crisis has changed me and now, off the wall as it sounds, I feel that I need to reintroduce myself to Jesus. Of course, that's not necessary because I believe that I'm utterly known by him, but there's been such a shift in my priorities this last 18 months, such turbulence in my moods, and, along with everyone else, such a change to my everyday lifestyle that I feel unfamiliar with myself. I feel I need to update Jesus on the adjustments and perhaps get some insights about the alterations to myself, but where do we begin? There's been so much to pray about, so many needs, problems, challenges, statistics, predictions, hopes, fears. They can overwhelm us like a tsunami. So where do we begin? Having so much to pray for is just as challenging as not knowing what to say. That's why liturgy can be helpful, especially when life renders us speechless. It's rather wonderful to use the well-crafted words shaped by someone who lived a few hundred years ago. And then there's the challenge about praying about some of the problems in my life. I've discovered that they were small. I wish I could go back to worrying about what made me feel anxious before the pandemic took hold. The trouble is, for the most part, I can't remember what I was worrying about back then. Any difficulties that I've faced have all been relative to the greater problem of COVID-19. There have been a couple of examples of God activity in my own personal life. I'd like to call them answers to prayer, but I actually hadn't asked for them to happen, so I can't claim them as an answer. 
But although I feel some strength and hope in those minor interventions, I'm mostly embarrassed by them because they all seem rather trivial, silly even. I'm tempted to send an email to gabriel at heavensgates.com. If I did, it would go something like this. Dear Gabriel, I'd like to thank you, your angelic powers, and most of all, the Lord of heaven and earth, for all of your snippets of involvement in my life. Although we've never met face to face, and I'm not requesting an imminent appointment, especially if it involves a pearly gate encounter, and thus my death, I have, over the years, been extremely grateful for all the positive interventions from heaven in my minuscule little life here on earth. I'm going to regret writing this email as soon as I send it, desperate as I am for the continuation of the aforementioned, and did I say most welcome activities, in the journey of yours truly. Nevertheless, perhaps you could pass this message on to our Heavenly Father. I would like to ask him one small request, that he moves to save the inhabitants of planet Earth from this virus thing. I call it a thing because, as I write, even the most eminent scientists in the world in their collective collaborating of their huge brains have not been able to figure it out, particularly with new mutations. Of course, calling it by name, historically COVID-19, does make us feel a little better as if it's something we identify, dissect, and then destroy. For many years now, I and my fellow human beings have lived under the collective illusions that we are really rather clever and we can control our own destinies completely. We were lulled into this silly myth as a result of A, not having a world war for a while, B, only engaging in localised wars, which were mostly far away, so we chose to ignore them, and then C, ignoring mass poverty and environmental destruction for reasons unknown. But recent developments have proved that although we thank God for brilliant scientists, we are not actually masters of the universe, that position being filled by your Lord and mine. Anyway, back to the reason for emailing you, Gabriel. I wonder if you could let it be known that you and the rest of Heaven's Vast Army can forget about my little worries and just sort out this horrid virus. Hold on. Let me delete that last sentence, or at least amend it. Please forget me suggesting that you can forget my little worries. Just postpone giving them your attention, because I'd rather like you to return to giving your attention to my stuff once this pandemic is finally over with. In the meantime, I hope it will be all right to offer this short prayer to the Lord, a piece of simple liturgy, if you will. Lord God, help, help, help. Amen. Yours sincerely, Jeff. P.S. Gabriel, please don't forget that I changed forget into postpone. Thanks. Well, all right. In writing that little piece, I'm not remotely suggesting that we chat with angels. We have the privilege of talking in prayer directly to God. But we can, at this time, stand our ground, asking God to help us to tame fear. And maybe this week, take baby steps and carry on. See you next week. Lucas on Life.